can I help you, sir? Really? You see the man talking to your bank manager has his case open? Oh, that's Mr. Gwyndon, one of our assistant managers. Our manager is Mr. Schoenbitt. He's not in today. But you see the man with the briefcase? Yes. That's my partner. He has a gun in there. And if you don't do exactly what I tell you, or if you give me any kind of a problem at all, I'm going to look over at my partner, and he's going to shoot your Mr. Gwyndon between the eyes. For several decades, Elmore Leonard was America's greatest crime writer. Although James Elroy would vehemently debate that, the author of The Black Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, L.A. Confidential and White Jazz, chronicles worlds that are markedly different from those Leonard explored. Leonard wrote tight stories about little characters, working and worming their smart-ass way through a world that, although gleaned from wry and acute observation, was very different from the world or underworld that James Elroy has been chronicling for the last 30 years. Elroy's fiction is taken from fact, and none the worse for it. But for a long time, what linked the two writers, as opposed to set them apart from one another, was the fact that Hollywood didn't know how to make good movies out of their books. Leonard began writing westerns, and one of his earliest novels, 310 to Yuma, made for a very tight, if minor cowboy picture from 1957, starring Glenn Ford and Van Heflin. A new version of which was made seven years ago, starring Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. Anyway, with the exception of that novel, almost every other attempt to adapt Leonard's work fell far short of what he put on his pages. Be it Mr. Majestic with Charles Bronson, 52 Pickup with Roy Scheider, Stick with Burt Reynolds, or Glitz with Jimmy Smits, they may have all been faithful to his stories, but they simply failed to capture the shooting the breeze tone of Leonard's characters. That was until 1994, when Danny DeVito's Jersey films announced their intention of adapting Leonard's Get Shorty. I'm thinking about a movie. One of mine. No, one that we're producing. With what? Wise guy money. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. No, no, look, Martin, I'm not connected to that anymore. Not since I left that loan shocking operation in Miami. What's the matter? The pressure got too much for you? Pressure. I'm the one who applied the pressure. This time, they got it right. Screenwriter Scott Frank captured the rhythms and cadences of Leonard's laconic characters. And under the slick direction of Barry Sonnenfeld, the cast of John Travolta, Danny DeVito, Gene Hackman and Rene Russo found the perfect pitch to a plot about a mafiosi infiltrating Beverly Hills. While all that was going on, Quentin Tarantino announced that he would follow up his trailblazing pub fiction with Jackie Brown, his own take on Leonard's rum punch. Is that what I think it is? What do you think it is? I think it's a gun pressed up against my dick. <laughs> well, you thought right. Now take your hands from around my throat, nigga. <laughs> Tarantino had been a fan of Leonard since he was a miscreant youth, and, in fact, he had been caught red-handed when he had tried to steal a copy of Leonard's The Switch from a local bookstore. Undeterred, Tarantino later went back to the same store and stole the book again. With Tarantino doing Jackie Brown and Get Shorty already enjoying a healthy run in theatres, Danny DeVito then announced his intention was to tackle Leonard's slick crime caper out of sight. 
back in prison, a guy like you in a place like that? You were ice cream for freaks. Your goddamn dumpling. Maurice and a dozen other guys would have bled you till you had nothing. Until you were nothing. I saved your ass. So you'll pardon me if I don't want to sit on a fucking stool all day and say, sign in here, please. Or, hey, pal, you can't park here. All right, dick? I can't fucking do it, dick. Initially, the intention was to reteam Get Shorty's screenwriter Scott Frank with director Barry Sonnenfeld. But Sonnenfeld had signed on to direct Men in Black, so DeVito approached Steven Soderbergh. Looking back from 2014, that may seem like an obvious choice. But back in the mid-90s, Soderbergh's career had seriously stalled. Yes, he had won the Palme d'Or only nine years earlier with Sex, Lies and Videotape. But in his own words, Soderbergh desperately needed to climb out of the arthouse ghetto. Out of Sight offered him that chance. He was not the only person wishing to re-establish himself as someone of significance. George Clooney had broken through on NBC's drama Eeyore, but when he left for the cinema, the films he made all disappointed. It seemed that, just like Leonard's books, Hollywood didn't know what to do with him. Out of Sight proved to be the perfect fit for both Soderbergh and Clooney. So perfect, in fact, they went on to make another nine feature films together, Clooney starring in five of them, with another four where they served as producers. And that's not to mention Jennifer Lopez. Lopez had begun as a backing dancer to New Kids on the Block and Janet Jackson, before branching into television, where she appeared on the comedy show In Living Colour. After getting a toehold in cinema, Lopez then went into music. To say that she is multi-talented would be an understatement. Jennifer Lopez is an industry juggernaut, not only an actress and singer, but also a film producer, music producer and songwriter. With over 55 million sales and records, she has created a business empire that extends into fashion, perfumes and accessories worth over $300 million. But before Out of Sight, Lopez had yet to break from the Latino ghetto to which Hollywood had confined her. You're a fighter. How do you know that? I can tell. Yeah, I was. So I got my retina detached two times. What'd you fight about, middleweight? Oh, light, super middleweight. That's my body developed. What'd you go about, what, Bantam? Flyweight. (laughs) Nigga, what? You know your divisions, huh? In many ways, Out of Sight is about second chances. Jack Foley is a bank robber who has failed and failed and failed again. And when he first meets Karen Sisko, it is under very strange circumstances. Jack has just broken out of prison. And in his escape, he and his buddy take Karen, a US Marshal, as their hostage. You don't seem all that scared. Of course I am. You don't act like it. What do you want me to do, scream? I didn't help much anyway. No, I'm just going to sit here, take it easy, and wait for you to screw up. <laughs> Not like my ex-wife. You were married? Just for about a year, give or take a few days. Not like we didn't get along, we had fun. We just didn't have that thing, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, spark, you know? Gotta have that. Mm-hmm. We still talk, though. Sure. Now, as far back as Shakespeare, lovers often met under a set of circumstances that immediately put them at odds. 
their initial encounter highlighting their differences rather than their similarities. But in the aftermath of that first meeting, neither party can get the other out of their heads. And so when they meet again, the, well, the clothes are taken off and the real personalities are revealed. As written by Leonard, Jack Foley was a veteran bank robber and when Leonard sold the movie rights, he had declared Jack Nicholson as ideal for the part. Likewise, Leonard had described Karen Sisko as being willowy with blonde hair. Even though everyone knew she was neither willowy nor blonde, Sandra Bullock was called in for the role. And although Steven Soderbergh could see that she and Clooney had great chemistry, he felt it wasn't right for the movie. So, having changed everyone's perception of how Karen Sisko could look, Jennifer Lopez suddenly seemed like the obvious choice. If you watch the film on DVD, be sure to listen in on the audio commentary with Steven Soderbergh and Scott Frank, because during it, they discuss the other changes the film underwent in pre-production. While Leonard's novel is linear, when Frank was approached to adapt the work, he decided to tell it inside out. I say inside out because it's not told in flashback. Instead, the structure is more patterned, each sequence gently echoing something later or earlier while simultaneously offering a commentary on other scenes. I have absolutely no clue how Frank hit upon this idea, but I suspect that he may have come upon it by examining the characters. You see, Jack is a thief who is always getting caught, simply because he isn't as ruthless as he should be. His problem is that he places loyalty above individuality. Likewise, Karen is a US Marshal who, although she is really good at her job, isn't respected enough simply because she does not play by the book. In other words, she will defy authority. See, Karen is yin to Jack's yang. And from there, you can fan out and see the crossover patterns in all the other characters. As portrayed by the magnetic John Cheadle, Snoop is amiable, but he is also a psychopath. Likewise, Buddy, played by Ving Rhames, is supposed to be a hardened criminal, but he suffers from a flaw called conscience. And finally, you have Ripley, delivered with an exquisite aplomb by Albert Brooks, who may be a ruthless banker, but when it comes to courage, is an absolute coward. And all those little crossovers and apparent contradictions are beautifully pulled together in Out of Sight's most celebrated scene, where Jack and Karen meet for a late night drink in a hotel bar. You like bourbon? I love it. We got that out of the way. Tell me, Celeste, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a sales rep, and I came here to call in a customer, but uh, they gave me a hard time because I'm a girl. Is that how you think of yourself? As a sales rep? As a girl. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I like your hair. I like your outfit. But actually, this is my second favorite outfit. I had a first favorite, but it got ruined and I had to get rid of it. You did? It smelled. Really? Having it clean didn't help? No. <laughs> so tell me, Gary, what do you do for How a living? How far do you want to go with this? <sighs> Not yet. Don't say anything yet. Out of Sight was edited by Anne V. Coates, who had won an Oscar for Lawrence of Arabia, as well as editing David Lynch's The Elephant Man and the Clint Eastwood thriller In the Line of Fire. And working closely with her, Soderbergh draws heavily and unashamedly from the celebrated love scene in Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. But in Out of Sight, it all happens with such mastery 
that it is never mere pastiche. The elliptical editing that repeatedly folds back and forth in time shows us how both characters seduce one another, hesitantly yet eagerly, recklessly yet cautiously. And whenever Coates cuts back and forth in time, you can see the characters sensing what is going to happen next while simultaneously knowing that they are exposing themselves to enormous risk. Is Karen allowing Jack seduce her so she can arrest him? Or is Jack allowing Karen seduce him so he can compromise her? So yes, the scene is incredibly seductive, but the characters are also very apprehensive. Not by much, but this is my favorite Leonard adaptation and a catapult of the careers of everyone into the stratosphere. In a phrase, it put them all out of sight.